Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we discover God's glory in what He's doing around the world. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, church planters, and disciple makers as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. This is the second half of an interview that we started last week. If you didn't catch the first half, you'll find it at engagingmissions.com slash jameshuman. Our guest this week is going by the pen name James Human. Last week we got to know him and how God's been working in his life. This week we're going to learn more about his ministry to Sikhs and how we can also minister to any Sikhs in our lives. One note, he did share some contact information, but then he thought better of it because of the privacy concerns, so I'll have some updated contact information for you at the end of the episode. And with that, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. All right, we're back, and I'm here with James Human. We've gotten to know him a little bit, and now we're going to take some time to learn about the ministry that he has, which, for all of the guests I've had so far, this is completely unique in that he focuses on Sikhs, and as I understand it, he's pretty much the go-to guy as far as you know finding a bridge to the gospel and those kind of things. So we want to learn from him. And if you're like me, up until today, you might not have known what a Sikh is. So James, can you take a minute and just tell us what's a Sikh? Where do they come from? What do they believe? You know, how can we get started to even understand? Okay. Well, the Sikhs uh, are, are, are Punjabis. They're a people group is Punjabi, but the religion is Sikh. Uh, they're in the north uh, western part of, of India, uh, near the Pakistan border. And in 1947, when uh, the border was, was drawn between Pakistan and, and India, some of the Punjabis went to the Pakistan side and some went to the Indian side. And a lot of the Punjabis that are in uh, the Pakistan side, they are, are Muslim, few mm-hmm. Sikhs. And most of the ones that are in the, uh, the Indian side are, are Sikhs. There are about 25 to 27 million Sikhs in the world. It's the fifth largest religion. The... Uh, uh, started in 1507 by a uh, Guru Nanak. Now, the the reason that it was started was that Guru Nanak, at the, in this time, there was a the the Brahma caste of the uh, of the Hindu religion, and the Mongols or the, the Muslims were very cruel people at this time. There was a lot of things going on that that was really treating people uh, not very good. There was uh, widow burnings. There was these, the child marriages, there were, uh, if you didn't become uh, certain, uh, a Muslim, then they, they were killing people. Uh, certain, some people groups were being wiped out at this, at this time, and then there were so many other things about the caste system. People were, 
put in these certain, you know, as in India today, they, the caste, and they know which caste they're in, which was started thousands of years ago. Well, Guru Nanak, uh, in 1507, when he came out of, uh, it was said, when he came out of some water, he said, God spoke to him and said, there was no, there was no Brahma, and there was no Mong- Mongols. Uh, what was, God told him, he said, that those two ways were not the way to God. Hmm. And that there was only one way to God. And so at, at this time in the 1500s, he was really a great reformist, kind of almost the same time as the Reformation that we had. Uh, he came into this area and said that there is only one God. You know, and in Hinduism, there's 330 million gods. <laughs> but he came through and said that, uh, you know, there's only one God. And the characteristics of, of, of their God, many of them match up to or can really kind of bridge over to to how we see God. When I do the training and people, Christians see their their mindset or who, they, who they, he says God is and ours, there, there are a lot of similarities there. Mm-hmm. But but it's monotheistic. And what he also said, that all people were created equal, that there was no one was better than anybody else. He also and this is not this is not unique in the in a in the rest of the world today that women were created equal to man. So he elevated women to an equal status as as men, and it all came out of this of how the treatment was of of uh, people in that day. And he just he didn't feel like that was the way God had designed all of us to be that we all should be able to. Uh, be able uh, to create it equal. So anyway, he went around. He went around traveling around the area. He went to Mecca and uh, all of these areas and just started talking about this new belief. And this is where people started following Guru Nanak. And they had, they had been gurus, uh, and uh, three of them were martyred. And so the Sikhs really value uh, their martyrs. And... Uh, then uh, the 10th guru, who's Gobind Singh. So if you remember anything about Sikhs, remember Guru Nanak, who was their first guru, and then Guru Gobind Singh, who is their 10th guru. Now, Gobind Singh, why he's important, he's the one that really brought about the turban and some of the other physical characteristics that you see Sikhs today. Uh, the Sikhs today were the turban and the long beard and the long hair, and as I had talked to Brian earlier, that after 9-11, many, many Sikhs have been thought to be Muslim and have been beat up and uh, other things done to them because they thought they were Muslim. They are not Muslim. Uh, as a fact, they're the, one of the only people groups that have defeated Islam. Uh, and around the 1800s or 17, end of 1700s, early 1800s, they had defeated Islam and had their own empire for 40 years until the British came in hmm. and uh, changed things there. So there's always been a kind of a conflict between uh, the Punjabis or the Sikhs and, and is, Islam. But the Sikhs uh, 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 also had a, a Guru Nanak, uh, had a, a longer kitchen. And they have those today, and they're good waters. You can go, and anybody can go to a good water, go into their good water, and go to the longer kitchen, and they'll feed you. Uh, but what you do, you sit on the floor, because Guru Nanak said that since everybody's created equal, if you're a king, queen, whatever, you can come in and eat, but you'll sit on the floor because everybody's created equal. He said, in God's eyes, everybody's the same. And then going back to the Golden Singh, he... 
developed this uh, the Khalsa, which is very important to Sikhs today. There was a particular time when Gobind Singh came out, and he said, and there was about sixty to 70,000 Sikhs, and he said, who would die for the guru? And no one raised their hand. So he asked about three times, and then one guy got up and went into a tent, and Gobind Singh came back out, and he was bloody. Then he asked again. Another person got up, went in, and Gobind Singh came out, and he was even more bloody. So at the end, he asked five guys. And after the fifth one went in, and they, then when they came, he came back out, all five of them came back out. So what he was doing, he was trying to find out who would die for the guru. And so they became the first Akasa, which is uh, the pure ones, the, the true followers of, of the uh, of Sikhism and of the mm-hmm. guru. Now, he also at this particular time, it's called the 5Ks. And the Sikhs uh, wear uh, the long hair. If they're a Sikh, they, thought of, they don't cut their hair because they believe that uh, this long hair was given by God and that we shouldn't cut anything that God created. And so it reminds him to behave like a saint also, and it kind of gives him a group consciousness. But so, so the long hair, they don't, they, if they're going to be a true Sikh, they don't cut their hair from beginning of birth to, uh, to when they die. Now they can cut their hair, which you see many Sikhs today cut their hair. But if they want to follow Sikhism the way it's supposed to be, they can start growing their hair again and be accepted back in. They also have a comb called the Kanga. And it has to remind them of being neat, you know, and, uh, uh, and it is generally, uh, baptized Sikhs that have that. And we'll talk, I'll talk about baptism in just a minute because they have baptism and they have other thoughts about salvation too. But that's the conga and it's to keep, uh, remind them of, of staying neat and clean. And they have a car and this is, this car is really important. It's a solid steel bracelet. Okay. And you go to any restaurant or if you go to any place in there, you see an Indian. And they don't have a turban on. And you'll say, I wonder if that's a Sikh. Look on their left or right arm. And if there's not a piece of jewelry. Now, it's a solid steel brace, stainless steel. It could be silver or gold. And then you can use that as a conversational piece. Are you Sikh? And they'll say, well, yes, how do you know? And you say, well, you have the Kara. And uh, the Kara is a steel brace. And it's supposed to uh, uh, remind the Sikh, kind of like, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. So they put it on their hand, like if they're right-handed, they go on their right hand. So if they're going to hit somebody or steal something, they'll see that car and they remind them that that wouldn't glorify God. Because the Sikh, like we Christians, if they're a true Sikh, they won't think about God all the time, and they want to glorify God by the way they live their lives. Okay, And it also reminds them of the indebtedness to the guru. Mm. Then they also have a kachira. The fourth K is a kachera, and these are short white bridges that are worn. And this is mainly by baptized Sikhs. And it symbolizes their chastity, but it also uh, marks for they're ready to fight or ready to go. During this, during this era, many of the warriors, when they went to take a bath, they would go completely without clothes. Well, the, the Sikhs, this reminds them of their morality or their chastity. They would wear the kachera, so one to cover themselves, but second, if the enemy were to come, they just would run out of water, and they're dressed, and they're ready to go fight. Hmm. And then the fifth one is called the kirpan, and it's a, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a knife that you'll see a lot of Sikhs have on the side uh, of their waist. And it, there's a black belt that goes across their shoulders, and it's called the kirpan, and it is, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it is only worn by baptized Sikhs. 
and it symbolizes the readiness to defend others. And it is, it, it's an emblem, too, of, of power and freedom of the Spirit. But here again, the Sikh believe that they should defend the helpless, the poor. And, and this is another reason why it was founded. And Guru Nanak's army, if they were to see poor along the road and they were hungry, his army was supposed to stop and feed them. But if I just say if a, a Sikh were to see someone being beat up by another type person, they are to defend that helpless person uh, if they're a true Sikh. Which uh, the Sikhs have a lot of things about their belief as really, uh, really good uh, in how they want to treat other people and things. Now, now when it goes to uh, other beliefs, they do believe many of them in reincarnation. Okay. Uh, which they say that uh, they have eight million four hundred thousand, uh, I guess, rebirths that you could say. But now, in my conversation with with Sikhs, uh, some do, some don't uh, really? believe in that. Uh, yeah, that's so, a very precise it, number, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and see, they say that this uh, their religion is, I guess, uh, their own. It, there's no mix, but there is a little mix of Hinduism in there and mm. a little mix of Islam in there uh, through the reading through their holy book and things. So there is a little bit of mix in there, but uh, most of it is is based on what the gurus uh, from their hearts, like Guru Nanak, is, is there. But there is a mix in there of some uh, of some of the other religions in there because uh, some of the gurus had close relationships with uh, with Muslims and. Uh, when they laid the cornerstone of their most holiest site, and their most holiest site in the Sikhs is in Amritsar, it's called the Golden Temple. Hmm. And uh, a Muslim laid the cornerstone for the uh, the Golden Temple there. But that is the most holiest site. It, 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 is, it looks like it's plated in gold. It's a really a beautiful, beautiful building, especially especially at night. And Sikhs try to go there uh, often. And now they don't believe in pilgrimages, too. The Sikhs don't believe in any pilgrimages huh. or any type of uh, ordinances or anything like that. Uh, they don't have a priesthood. Uh, what they do, they just have someone, if they can read the Gurmukhi script, which is what their holy book is written in, then they can come in and they'll be a grunt, is what they call them at the Gurdwara, and they will read the scripture. And their holy book, called the, it is called the Guru Granth Sikh, it is really written kind of like our psalms. It is a lot of it is sung as they as they read it. It's kind of in a like they're singing like the psalms or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I have just found out recently that in their on on Sundays, and that's when they meet most of the time is on Sundays. That they only read the same part of their scripture every Sunday. So most Sikhs do not really understand what is in their holy book. Huh. Uh, if they if they do purchase one, it's a pretty big copy, and they have to make a special room for it, and it's not real cheap. So most uh, Sikhs do not have a copy or really understand what is totally in their in their uh, book, wow. in their holy book. Now, another thing about Sikhism, Sikh, the word Sikh means uh, disciple. So what has happened over the years, kind of like the Jews discipled their people through the years by stories and you know, one generation to the other. That's the way the Sikhs have gotten to where they are today. The father of that family, or grandfather, is the one that's discipled the family to to tell them about the, uh, how Sikhs believe, you know, what how they should act their life, 
in their lives and all that. So it's been passed down from generations uh, to generations. Uh, now, the Sikhs have four principles of, of, of living, and this is kind of goes along with their salvation, or what they think about salvation. Now, also, Brian, if you want to jump in here and ask a question, if I'm getting too long here, you just let well, me know. <laughs> well, I, I would like to get to the baptism, but I'm really interested in these four principles before we kind of make that jump. Okay. Okay, because that, that, I'll get to the baptism right after this, uh, the, the principles of living. Okay. But is one of them is meditation. Okay, they meditate. And how they meditate, and some of them can get into a deep meditation, maybe not as much as some of the as in Hindu, Hinduism, but meditation is part of it. And to them, meditation is a repetition sometimes of God's name. And God, to them, is called Wahiguru. That's one of the names. And they'll... They'll chant like Wahiguru, 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 and that's kind of meditating. They, they want to keep, they want to keep God on their mind all the time. Mm-hmm. They want to think about God all the time. Now that's not a bad thing, but it's just a meditate. But it's coming to where it's it's, it's a work. It, it, now Sikhism is work based, okay. So, but they want to do meditation. Then they want to do, have an honest lifestyle, and they want to earn a living. I never saw a, a Sikh beggar ever. And that's not part of their DNA. Now, we saw some that were poor, but they were working. But they also know that if, if a Sikh is hungry, he can go to the good water and mm. he can eat lunch and dinner there and sometimes breakfast if he really, really needs to, especially in the most of the good waters in India. And most of your larger good waters here in America and Canada, uh, they'll do lunch and dinner. But the smaller ones, it may be just a Sunday afternoon lunch, and that's about it. But in India, it's usually every day. We used to see uh, rickshaw drivers from all different religious uh, beliefs lining up outside good waters in India, getting ready for, for, for lunch or whatever. So, But they want an honest lifestyle, then they want to share. Sikhs are to practice charity, and what the, it is, they want to give 10% of their earnings. Now, does that sound familiar? Yeah. 10% of your yeah, in time. So, but a lot of times that I've seen that the sharing that they give or the, what they're going to do is usually within the, the Sikh community. Uh, I have not seen a whole lot outside the community until just recently I've seen a few doing some things outside the community. The fourth thing is selfless service. They're supposed to serve. Most of the serve, service that I've seen a Sikh do uh, has been at the Gurdwara or at another temple. Uh, sometimes a Sikh try to find what God to answer his prayers will go to different temples or good waters or Hindu temples, Buddhist temple, whatever, to find God that will answer his prayers. But most of the time their service is within the temple. You'll see them, they'll serve you. If you go in and eat, you'll have a seat there. He'll serve, he'll clean up the kitchen dishes. So that's the fourth thing. But if you don't meditate, you can do the other three things. But if you don't meditate, then you don't have a chance of Hmm. uh, God granting you grace. And uh, their grace, they think of grace, but what they is, if you're lucky enough, and if you're good enough, right. then God might glance your way and give you grace to where you might, you know, come to be with him. Now, let me say this. Their salvation is like this. Say it's a, a drop of water is used to your life at the top of a mountain. As it rolls down the mountain, that's your life. And then at the end of life, if God grants your grace, your soul or your God will just go back into this giant pool, which is God. Hmm. It's, it's, it's impersonal. 
Okay, so or, or it's like a light, your light in your soul when you die, if God allows you to, and if you make it, your light will just be enveloped by God's great light. And that is their concept of salvation. They talk about Christians, all we want to do is get our rewards. Hmm. You know, all a Sikh wants to do is be, and what they call it is, all we want to do is be united with God. They want to unite with God. But here again, the bridge. Because right. in Revelation, what does it say? We are united with God, are we not? God yeah. comes down, He dwells among us. So see, there is another bridge there uh, that that we can use. Now, baptism. It's not like our baptism. What this has to do, and this this baptism began there when I was talking about Gobind Singh when the Khalsa was developed. The uh, the pure ones, the Panchpari, which is what they were called, were baptized. And what they do, they take a honey water mixture, and they'll They'll mix it in a big bowl, and they'll stir it with a conga, which is a two, two-sided two sword. They'll stir it, and then once it's stirred, the ones that are going to be baptized, the person baptizing him will come in, and he'll dip his hands in the water and go in this honey or sugar mixture and, and give it to the person, and they'll sip it out of his hands, and he'll go around to all the ones. He'll come back and do it again until all of this... Uh, Mixture is gone. Once it's gone, then they're baptized, and they, they're Sikhs. Now, that means they're part of the Khalsa, and that means they can wear all five of the Ks. Hmm. If they're not part of the Khalsa, then they, then they can still wear the turban. You know, they still wear the Kara, but you don't see them with the Kirpan. You will not see them with the Kachera, but you can see them with the other things. But... Uh, because that, especially the Kirpan, that says when they're going to be a Sikh, that means they're sold out 100% to Sikhism. And they're going to live by what the, their holy book says they're going to live. So that's where they're baptism. So it's, there's not much to bridge there, you know. But as far yeah. as salvation, I mean, you know, I, we are going to be united with God as they think they're going to be united with God. So there are, are some bridges uh, that way. Okay. Uh, so, uh, uh, do you have any other questions about Sikhism that you might have? Since I've talked, I've kind of rambled on there. Do you have anything that you might want to? No. I, in, in all honesty, right now, uh, I'm just trying to process everything that you've already shared. It's it's <laughs> it's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, I you know I I wanted to ask maybe one question to kind of follow uh-huh. that up, and it's not specific about Sikhism, but I just wanted to know, as you're approaching this ministry, what is it that fuels your passion for what God's doing? Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, you know, it's the lostness. Okay. It, it's just, uh, you know, when I told you I was in Rio de Janeiro, mm-hmm. and I saw all these people uh, just going by, and they didn't know where they were going, and it just... Uh, God just said, Jamie, who's going to tell them? So it's just that, I mean, in yeah. meeting them. And then, uh, and then when I was in India, I was, I was, I was traveling. Uh, I, I walked every day but just to meet people if I could. But I was walking and this guy, uh, he was riding a bicycle. And I bet you he may have been, might have been 40 years old. He looked 90. Hmm. And he was struggling. He was skinny. You know, the, 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 yeah. what you see on TV sometimes. And God said, Jamie, where's he going? And I knew where he was going. And I said, and then God said who's going to tell him? So that, you know, that really fuels my passion about, you know, uh, doing what I'm doing is to go and to, to share 
and, and see the light bulb come on, you know, where somebody finally realizes the truth and they, they choose to accept, you know, Jesus Christ. So, so that, that is part of it. And then the other part that gets me excited is what's God going to do next? I mean, what, what, what is he going to, where is he going to show up and do something amazing or, uh, you know, the ministry starts doing this because God's doing it. So it's just, uh, that's so exciting. When It's so different than working at J.C. Penney's. You know, it was day in, day out. I knew it was going to happen on Mondays. You know, the district manager called out Mark Downs and everything else, salary call. Yeah. But with God, you don't know what's going to, what's he going to do next. But then also, what's exciting is what is he going to ask you to do next? Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the whole thing. And you don't know what's going to go on and what you're going to do and how you're going to be blessed. I've been blessed so much by the people I've met, the food I've eaten, the homes I've been in, and the relationships that I've been able to develop since working for the Lord. Yeah. And uh, so I'm excited about what's going to be next, Who, what's going to happen next, you know, and uh, when when will more Sikhs start coming to Christ? And I don't know. So it's just exciting, it, and it's just, it's just a lot of fun. It gets kind of, I guess, uh, it can wear you out sometimes, you know, emotionally. Yeah. Uh, when you're sharing the gospel and, you know, things, but, you know, when you realize that it's, you're just carrying the water, you know, it's just, a, I love that when Jesus changed the water to wine, it, in mm-hmm. that passage, does it tell you when the water changed the wine? Nope. Mm-hmm. Everybody was obedient to what Jesus said, but it does not say in there when the water changed the wine. So, you know what? I'm just a water boy. Yeah. I clear the water and God will change the water to wine when he's ready or when that person's ready. So we just got to carry the water and, and pray that that person will accept the water and then God changes it to, you know, to the wine when he's ready. That's great. With that, we are going to go ahead and take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus to you, the listener. We've been learning from James about Sikhism and we're going to take a shift. We're going to learn from what he knows. Do you know a ministry leader, church planter, or a missionary who you believe would be a great guest for our show? Why not let me know about them? I rely on you and my former guests to help me find missionaries and ministers who are rock solid in what they do and how they approach ministry. I'm not necessarily looking for the proverbial rock star. Many of my guests have done things that might seem amazing, and others are heroes of the faith simply because of their faithful obedience. But all of them have one thing in common. Jesus is the absolute center of what they do and why they do it. If you know somebody who fits the bill, let me know. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com and let me know who they are and how I can reach out to them. And be sure to let them know that I'll be reaching out to them as well. Again, that's feedback at engagingmissions.com. All right, we're back. We've got James Human here with us today. We've been learning about Sikh ministry, and now we're going to take a, a turn. We're focusing our energy on you as the listener. And James, I'm really happy to be able to ask this question because you mentioned you had so much time at J.C. Penney's before God made the transition in your life. And I know that most of the people who are connected to this show are here in the U.S. or in the broader North of America, and that God God has them in the marketplace. So what would you share with somebody if they're called into the marketplace, but they're starting to wonder if what they're doing really matters in the kingdom? Oh, that is such a great question because I think the struggle today is that 
uh, many believers today feel like that God can't use them or they won't be effective or something about the baggage they're carrying or, you know, what will they say? What will they do? How will they approach somebody? You know, can I really do this? And, and I think that they just need to go and do it. Like my wife told me, just go do it. Hmm. You'll be amazed that God will take care of you just like he says he would. And, and let me just give an example. When I went to Brazil for the first time, first time I ever out of the country, we went to Brazil and went to this, I can see the little lady now, we're going to this house here. So we went to this house, but the person wasn't there. So she turned and there was this big house with a big ugly gate on it. Kind of looked like where the, I don't know, look like maybe what Dracula might look like or something, but it, it was scary looking. Black fence and all this. And she says, we're going to go over here and see if we can get in there. No pastor has been able to get in there, and they want anybody in because the, the daughter of this person uh, teaches Makumba, which is spiritualism. And I went to myself, oh, uh, I'm sending her my breath. We don't want to go there. We don't, I don't want to go there. What do I say? I hope we, oh, Lord, we don't need to go in. We don't want to go in. You know, but... So we went over there, knocked, and you know what? The lady came out, and you know what happened? She opened the gate, and we went in. And I went, oh, my goodness. Mm. So as we were going to her house, I was saying, now, what will I say? Yeah. What am I going to say? I don't know what to say to this lady. But, but from that point on, when the lady said this, she said, and she went in their house, she pointed to the Bible and said, I've been waiting for a long time for somebody to come in, to come mm. in and tell me what this says. And from that point on, God took over. I don't know what I said, mm. but it, God will, will help you in what you you know, what he wants you to do. He has a plan for all of us, but the key to it is that we rely on him and trust him that he will guide us through his Holy Spirit. And he does. And he really does. And but yes, sometimes I still feel lost, you know, in what I'm going to say, but that's because I try to take over what I think I should say and not listen to where he wants to direct me. And uh, so here again, it's just being obedient and go do it. If I can do it, I mean, I'm just a, I couldn't keep it there, but I'm just a redneck from Tennessee. That's who I am. I'm just a plain old guy from Oak Ridge, Tennessee. I worked for a company 38 years. You know, I, I just taught Sunday school. I'm not a seminary person. You know, I still struggle finding some Bible verses sometimes or whatever. But, hey, if you're obedient and you truly want to see the lost come to Christ and do what God wants you to do, you'll be able to do it. You know? Now, let me say this. He will allow you to do it. Yeah. I'm not doing this. He's doing it. So it's just amazing. But the thing of it is, get out of your comfort zone and just go do it. That's all I, I, I can say. That's what I had to do. And from there, God can tr- God will train you step by step. He went to me with Brazil, where it's not too hard to share because of the Catholicism there. Then mm-hmm. from there, he took me to my next step, which was Niger, Africa, doing Ramadan, doing it with a different process. Obedient there, from there, he took me to the next step. And from there, now I'm back in the States, the other step is, is a little different than the others because he's trained me all along to be doing what I'm doing here. So it's a process, but you have to start somewhere. And I started from ground zero, believe me. I mean, <laughs> probably minus, minus 30, maybe or something like that. So You, you know, as you were sharing about uh, being just a a redneck from Tennessee, you triggered yeah. something that I've been kind of meditating on recently because I've always thought of myself as I'm just me, right? I'm just a servant. Mm-hmm. But if I read the scriptures right, we're also ambassadors for a kingdom. Yes, sir. And I think that's powerful when we start to recognize that in our lives, that 
you know, we're not, I mean, yes, we approach things as servants because that's what Jesus did, but he was the king and he didn't approach his ministry as, as though he was nothing either. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I'll get off my soapbox. This isn't really about no, me. No, but that's true. What you're saying is true because as you grow, you approach what you're doing with the power that's within you. But now the thing of it is that we have to be careful of is that we, because we have this special gift that God's given us, not to think we're better than others. The most important thing we can do, and this has to do with the tra- when you're reaching Sikh, Muslim, anybody, is... When you're going to go reach a different culture, throw your Westernism out the door. Mm-hmm. Just, just throw it out the door and and be a listener. See, sometimes we, and I, believe me, we want to sh- tell people about Christ. We want to tell them, you know, how to be saved or tell them this instead of first listening to where this person may be spiritually, where we will be able to share with them how God is has changed our lives, and that will open doors. I have found through listening, finding where people are spiritually, that more doors have been opened. I've never, I've never been thrown out of anybody's house. Hmm. Never. I've always had been able to share. But when you, when you listen first to them, then you'll say, "Can I share with you?" Because those will, they'll have to. Because <laughs> yeah. you just listen for two and a half hours or whatever, to what they, so you're able to share, but you'll, you'll find out where they are spiritually, financially, family-wise, health-wise, and from there, your relationship can start to build, and you build up, start building up some trust in a relationship, and from there, you know, you just, we have, we have to show the love of Christ, and can I give you another example of yeah. how my ministry is on this? In Brazil, I was in a lady's house with my interpreter, and all of a sudden my interpreter said, stop, 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 whoa. And I said, oh, no. Because being me, I said, what did I say culturally? Because we do have to be careful in different cultures on how we speak to the ladies or women and others. But so I thought I had said something culturally wrong. So he talked to her and said, okay, you know, what, what's going on here? And she, she said, he said, well, she just told me that we were the first missionaries that ever told her that God loved her. Oh, that changed my whole mindset of the approach that God wanted me to do. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus loved them first with compassion. And from there, he went to the next step. So that's what, that's what the ministry is based on, is the love of Christ. Because when that lady said, I was the first person or first missionary that's ever told that God loved her, I went, oh, whoa. Yeah. Something's got to change. Yeah. Wow, that's that's great. You know, as as I'm looking at the time, we've been talking for more than an hour now, and um, I was considering skipping a couple of questions. But if you don't mind, I'd kind of like to just keep going for a, a few more minutes. Yeah, um, hey, that's great. Whatever you want to do. Okay, and we may just I may end up dividing this interview into two separate publications or something. I'm not sure how I'm going to treat that, but I don't want to miss this. Um, mm-hmm. You know what we've got going on here. I, as I think about 
the people that are connected to the show, I know that a lot of them are in the marketplace. We've talked about that, but it's becoming more and more common that you look up one day and you realize that your neighbors and your coworkers are coming from another culture, maybe someplace that you used to think we just send missionaries there. Living here in Nashville, I look up and I I see the refugee Mm -hmm. population continuing to increase. And I'm not trying to make a political statement or anything like that, but what would you share with somebody if they look up and they realize, oh my goodness, my neighbor came from... South Africa, or my neighbor came from some some country I can't even pronounce. Let's, let's get back to the old Southern way of doing things. Take them, <laughs> take them a pie. <laughs> take them a pie. Yeah, yeah. Go meet them. I mean, that's that. That is uh, something that I've really seen move away uh, from our neighborhoods, even from even going to some larger churches. Sometimes is the actual genuine. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to meet you. My name is Sorens. You know, go and meet them. Go and greet them. Go and, and, and develop a relationship right away. Welcome them into the neighborhood. I mean, we don't need to fear, you know, uh, that you, we, we ought to, if we're followers of Christ, we ought to say, thank you, God, for bringing the world to me. Hmm. Because some people can't go overseas. But, yeah. you know, the diaspora is here. You know, it's, it's where I live right here, there are... Uh, all types of of individuals here, uh, and I I hope I was hoping that when the, when the summer got here, nice people would get out. But you don't any more people don't even get out. But when we do see them, my wife and I, we go and introduce ourselves, and we want to know them. Uh, in church this past Sunday, we we noticed an Indian couple come in, uh, and so right away we we went over and introduced ourselves because. Uh, we haven't been at this church so long, so we don't know who's new and who's not sometimes, but we knew they were new. <laughs> so, but, you know, it, it's to go and introduce yourself but uh, and to, uh, to get involved with them right away. And here, again, uh, praise people. You know, people want you to pray for them. Don't be, don't be bashful to ask, hey, you know, uh, is, is there anything we can pray for you for? Pray for your home. People love you to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I just think getting out into the environment and meeting them and welcoming them to to the neighborhood or bring them to your home, you know, invite them over for dinner and, and cook them something. And then when they invite you to their house, eat what they put out. That You know, it is really neat to eat different foods from different cultures. I've had, since I've, you know, left East Tennessee, I've had all kinds of different foods. And, I, and I've always tried everything. You know, when you're overseas, and then after a while, you can don't have to eat something. Uh, you can hit goat head soup, wasn't bad, but I I did try. So so just 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 get out and 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 uh, and meet the meet the neighbor. It's fun. It really that, that's something that excites me too is meeting new people and uh, ho- hopefully coming over and and let them enjoy our culture. But I like learning other people's cultures, their their history, their past, where they come from, and how they believe. Because when you do that, you're learning something about a different culture, a different religion, a different mindset that will help put something in your toolbox that will help you maybe share with them the gospel someday. It could be the first time you meet, but it may not be. Because uh, sometimes uh, people, I know Sikhs in particular, that if a white person comes to visit them, they in the back of their mind already mind already think that you're there to convert them, uh-huh. and that's that's so 
that's why relationship they are a relationship based society. So that's where that not saying that you can't sometimes when you meet him first or any anybody. It's that's according to the Holy Spirit working through you. Mm-hmm. But I have noticed that sometimes, you know, it's a it's it's not a very it's not a first meeting that you may be able to share with the seat or get to spiritual conversations. But then I have uh many times too. So you have to allow the Holy Spirit. But if you sit in the house and you don't get out and go, then nothing's going to happen. Uh, the people will still keep going back and forth, and no one's going to tell them. You know, and it's like in Romans. You know, we, we want to be happy feet. Hmm. You know, who's going to tell them? We want to be happy feet out there telling them. That's what we do. And smile. You know, I, here again, I think attitude is so important. That if they're your neighbors, you know, I. With what we have inside of us, we ought to have this joy that when they see us, and even though they know something may be wrong or whatever, I, you know, they, we still have this joy about us because at the end of the day, you know, when it's time for us to go meet the Lord, we know where we're going. It's guaranteed. It's a promise, you know. So we ought to in, enjoy every minute and want to people to see that love inside of us that God's, you know, instilled in us with His Holy Spirit. And he wants everybody to know. So yeah. go get up, go out there and visit all these people. It's just don't be afraid. It's it's really fun. It really, really is to go out and meet new people. Is there maybe one book that you'd recommend for our listeners if they wanted to learn more? Oh, you know the the, the book. I I read the the Bible, <laughs> but I'll get another book. But the Bible, if you if you and and really look at what how Jesus wants you to live your life, not just read it, the Bible, just to say I'm reading it, but truly envelop into your lifestyle the agape love that Jesus is talking about, because if if we all truly read His his words and how he wants us to live. Our churches would change today. They'd be different than they are today. Our society would be different than it is today because it was a whole different love that he's talking about that we need to incorporate even more. But the books that helped me the most really when I was struggling, and even today I go back because it helps me with some of the more educated Sikhs is the Lee Strobel uh, a case for Christ and a case for faith. Those two books have really been good uh, for me because of uh, of the structure okay. of what he's talking about. Those two books there. That's good. We're going to take just a quick break to hear from next week's guest. Uh, I just was uh, just struck by what happened in Nepal. I had a friend that had lived there for a really long time named Jeff Sundell, and so I was trying to raise uh, awareness and raise funds for his networks there in Nepal. And uh, all of a sudden, God spoke through my wife and said, you probably should go there. Hmm. And I'm like, Actually, he spoke through my, my friend in Israel first, Sean Stegbeck, and he, <laughs> through John's wife saying the same thing. And then my friend in India his wife said to him, uh, you probably should go to uh, Nepal and help out. So all of our, the Holy Spirit spoke through all of our wives and led us there. For some reason, I had no idea, but it was just a tragedy was going on. And we I, we got to help out. We were led by the, by the Lord to a person of peace in a primarily Buddhist village. 
there in Nepal, in Sindhupalchok uh, district, and just saw tremendous devastation, this uh, 7.8 earthquake. And then I got to experience a 7.4 earthquake. And with that, we're going to get back to this week's guest as we close out the interview. Now, James, we're we're almost done. Um, okay. But be- before we get off, I would like to know, is there maybe one last piece of advice that you can offer our listeners and then a way for them to contact you if they want to connect and, and, and learn more? Sure. I, I really have been lifting up to the Lord uh, for more harvesters, more workers uh, to, for the Sikhs. Uh, the Sikhs, fifth largest religion, but only about a one, 1% of them have accepted Christ. And they are a very, very unreached people group. There's uh, 400,000 to 500,000 in the USA. There's about 500 to 600,000 in Canada alone, 800,000 in, in the U.K. But just in the USA and Canada alone, uh, there are not very, very many people working on a consistent basis to reach uh, the Sikhs. And so I... I'll go anywhere. I am a servant, but I don't cost anything. I I, I do Luke Luke ten. Mm-hmm. Luke ten. If, if people want me to come, I'll come. I'll teach them. I'll train them. I'll share all my knowledge because what I do in my training is based on everything I've learned. It's not a program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's experiences that I have, done, and it's done in a short short amount of time. It can be one day or two. But I'll teach history, culture, how to engage them. You know, then we'll go out and do an exercise, and then I'll follow up if you want me to, and I'll come back because the whole purpose of this is to uh, find that person of peace. Then we go to discipleship. We want to start a church someday. So, but the first of all, we got to get workers just mm-hmm. to find the people of peace. So I just, I just pray if people have on their heart or they live around where Sikhs are and have a desire or vision for their church or their community or their neighborhood or whatever to reach them, then uh, I'd love for them uh, to reach. But it's just, honestly, it's just uh, uh, there are so many opportunities out there for people to uh, to be involved in this ministry. And uh, I just pray that we will have some, especially California, uh, Sacramento, uh, Oakland area, uh, Houston, New York, so there's there's a lot that we're uh, we're uh, there's a high concentration of Sikhs and right now even working in Winnipeg, going to Toronto, but there's Calgary, uh, and also in the Surrey and the Aberystwyth area in the the western part of Canada too. So, uh, and then if anybody wants to partner up and uh, go to India with me and I train them and they can work with me, that'll be good too because the uh, the ministry is growing. Uh, and so the travel is getting more and more, which is good. I'm not complaining. It's, I, I love it. I love it. Well, that, that's great, James. Thank you so much for being here. This has been an, an absolute pleasure. It's been an honor to, to meet you and to, to learn from you. Thank you for being here. Well, I just, I just thank you that you've allowed me to be here and to, to wade through my chasing rabbits and, and all that good stuff to, to be here and uh, to share part of my story, but also the passion of reaching the Sikhs. I really, really do appreciate you, Brian. Well, thanks. That's the end of our time with James Human. If you'd like to connect with him, you can email jhuman369 at yahoo.com. That's jhuman369 at yahoo.com. You'll find this week's show notes 
at engagingmissions.com slash jameshuman2. That's jameshuman and then the number two. That's where I'll have links to all of the resources that he mentioned. And then also, if you'd like to download both halves of this episode in one zipped file, you can do that from the show notes page. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes by visiting engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. Audio editing for this program was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studios. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.